and welcome to episode 121 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Monday, August 7th, 2023. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? I'm back. Me too. (laughs) We have flung ourselves all over the place. And I can't wait to tell you about it because I didn't really talk about it before we left. And I am super grateful to you and to Kelly for co-piloting while I was away. It was a fun episode to listen to. Oh, it was fun to have a chance to talk to her on the air, as it were. We are having some technical difficulties. Apparently, one of our microphones has decided to go on vacation now. So we are sharing a mic, which we haven't done in a while. So if the sound is a little funky, I will try and fix it, but I cannot, (laughs) I am not a tech genius. So we'll see how it goes. But other than that, everything should be pretty, pretty back to usual. We'll have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, on the nightstand, and bingo. We're almost, we're almost at the end, Mm -hmm. which is kind of, kind of wild. So on the needles... I haven't worked in my dark academia at all, I don't think. Maybe maybe a smidge, a row or two or something after Kelly and I talked, because then I took off pretty quickly after that, and I have not worked on it since I got back. But I do want to get that finished up because, I mean, I guess it's August and we're now having our, our brief August summer heat wave, so it's like... 68. It's a real scorcher. <laughs> it is, but at some point, I can feel fall fall coming. There's just that mental switch, like when you know September is around the corner kind of thing, even though September is one of our two beautiful times of the year, and it will be blazing hot. You absolutely need to wear this sweater all fall long. Yes, probably starting in October. So I need to finish it before then. So I will get back to it. I did finish my Vanilla is the New Black by Anna Fletcher in White Birch Fiber Arts Little Birdie. So this is this is my socks. That is a double double win for my for my bingo. I guess I can talk about that later when we talk about bingo, but they did finish them. I ended up finishing them before I got on the plane, and I am super happy with them. They the colors it's a striping colorway in a bright blue and then a brown and a burgundy and a mustard and a lemon and a pink. And so the blue stripe is the same size as those other five colors put together. So super fun, very cheerful, bingolicious. And then because I was going on a trip, as soon as I finished that, I basically had to immediately cast on I believe pair number 11 of this pattern. (laughs) This is just my go-to sock pattern for me. So there's a lot of them being knit. And I grabbed a couple of skeins of Knit Picks Felici in the colorway Beyond the Wall, which I think I picked up at my most recent knitting retreat. It was in the D-Stash room. Someone had bought it and didn't want it anymore. And I said, thank you very much. And so they come already wound, uh, which is very handy if you're trying to pack and don't want to take the time to wind the yarn yourself. So I grabbed that and it has three stripes that are a light to a medium gray and then three stripes that are light to medium aqua. I could probably have used them for socks for my husband, but I decided to make them for me because it's my knitting and I know that pattern better. You're really low on socks. I'm so low on socks. Yes, exactly. No, not even a little bit. 
But that was fun. I think I started those pretty much on the flight. And then the first week of my trip, I was doing a lot of college tours. And so there were a lot of information sessions. So it was a lot of repetitive information <laughs> that I, you know, it was useful, but you can only hear, go check out the common app so many times before you're like, yep, got this can figure it out. And I can find things on websites too. So uh, it was very handy to have these socks. So I think I am just about at the heel turn of the first sock. I was doing all of the driving the first week because we had a rental car. So obviously the teenager was not help, able to help. So I wasn't able to drive to drive to knit on my car rides. But again, the, the tours were a pretty good time to do that. And then in my other free time, I continued working on my contrast last socks by Stephen West. That is his first mystery sock along. All the clues are out now. It is fantastic. Such a fun pattern. I am so impressed. I think I said this before. I feel like a lot of times any kind of mystery knit along, especially socks, like it's hard to work within those bounds of you've got to make it interesting and different every time and a surprise, but have a completed pattern project that looks like it makes sense together. And he did a fantastic job. He brought back patterns from the first clue in the last clue, but changed things up a little bit. Good use of the colors. The heel was super fun. I had some little cables on the gusset decreases. I mean, it's just, just a delight all around. And so I've started the second, I finished the first sock, started the second sock. If you saw my post on Instagram, I did decide to switch colors. We'll see how it looks. I just, I think I decided that you don't get a great deal of additional display of the the contrast color if you make it the main color, but you do get a little bit. And I really wanted to see that the light aqua with the, the pink pops have a little bit more prominent. So I'm excited about that. So that's kind of what I've been working on since I got home to try and, and finish that second sock up. And the yarn for that is from Mominoki in the colorways Aqua Flash and Teal Blast. And super fun. I'm enjoying that very much. And then I also started, I can't remember if I had started this last time. Yes, I had just started it so that I would have something else to work on. And that is Rome by Don Barker, R-O-A-M, as in what I have been doing for the past two weeks. Same. And this was with yarn from Rainbow Peak Yarns in the colorway Luminosity 2. And this was yarn that I got in Colorado on our trip. Rome is a shawl pattern that uses assigned pooling. So most of the skein is white, and then about a third of it is this mixed colorway. And every time you hit the color part of the yarn, you do mini bobbles in the shawl. And so it's kind of a, it's an offset triangle shawl. So it's mostly you're just doing plain stockinette and then every once in a while, oh, it's a color and you get to do something fun and you have to pay attention. So it was really good for car knitting because again, you don't have to pay too much attention, but there is a little bit of stuff going on. I got much less farther with it than I thought because I apparently am really good at just sitting and looking out the window at the passing scenery and I-90 is much more interesting than I thought it was gonna be. Oh, good. Because everyone who I told I was doing this trip, not everyone, many people to whom I said I am doing this trip were like, oh, awful. It's going to be so boring. I can't believe you're doing that. You're such a good mom. The point of the second half of the trip was to to bring our second car back from Boy One's 
college adventures. He'll be staying with us for this year because he doesn't really need it. And it's just a pain to park at school. So anyway, so we're bringing the car back. So we had two like huge days of driving and he did like 90% of it, which is amazing. Uh, but I don't know. There are hills of Wisconsin. I mean, there were, <laughs> we were a little bit laughing about the ski resorts, but whatever. People need things to do in the winter. And Minnesota was beautiful. South Dakota was really cool. Wyoming. I mean, the whole thing. Like Nevada was, if I had to choose, was maybe my least. But even that, like the Great Basin, very cool. So I did do some knitting, but I also spent a lot of time just looking at new scenery because I had not been to these states before. So it was, it was pretty cool. But I am enjoying working on that shawl as well. So I think I'm only, it takes two skeins of yarn and I'm only maybe halfway through the first skein so i have a lot left to do but it's very enjoyable and i think it'll be good tv knitting once we get back in the groove of life which we are we're not right now <laughs> there was this like back to school like right before back to school thing is just wacky yeah it's chaotic yeah yeah so that's where i am on the knitting and i my brain is also planning many things even though i have all this stuff going on I need to figure out what my finishing a work in progress is going to be for bingo. I don't know. I was kind of hoping it would be my grid lines, but I'm not sure that I will have time to to get to that. But I do need to, so that might still need to be my my project. That might need to be my my carrot for for getting that finished is my that bingo square. Because those sleeves, I don't know. It's still thinking about what it's done. <laughs> How about you? Well, I think that I should I should tell what I did so that the rest of my narrative makes any remote sense. So right before we left for our adventure, I made, speaking of needles, another Nenofar jacket in like a navy kind of tiny brocade. Because even though when we were packing for our trip, it was hot as heck in Europe, I knew we were going to be at altitude. And so I was anticipating cooler nights and we were going to visit some cities that required like not a sweatshirt, (laughs) you know, a little bit more than than a sweatshirt. So just to give you a, a quick glimpse of where we've been, we went to Switzerland and Romania and then back to Switzerland. So the kids like to say we went to Switzerland twice this summer. All four of us went. We were gone for three weeks And we attended a wedding in Romania, and that was an intentional detour, obviously. We worked it into the original plan of being in hiking in the Swiss Alps. So we did a lot of Switzerland. We were in Bern for a few days to recover from jet lag. It's a nine-hour time difference from San Francisco, and that's pretty significant. And then we went down to Zermatt, which is where the Matterhorn is, and we climbed the, well, we took, a, we took many lifts, because I don't know if people know, but I have a terrible knee that kind of holds me back a little bit, but I still average like nine or 10 miles a day. Wow. So yeah, I did really well, even without my CBD cream. <laughs> I was afraid to take it. I thought TSA might might uh, confiscate it. So we would take a lot of lifts or gondolas or funiculars up and then hike around the trails at altitude. So we did the Gornergrat Glacier. We did 
a glacier that's like adjacent to the Matterhorn. I did not climb the Matterhorn, but I got pretty darn close to it. And then from Zermatt, we went to Kandersteg, which is a beautiful town in sort of central Bernese Oberland area. And we went to Lake Oceansea, which is that super turquoise glacial lake. It was very crowded, but we did get to see that Aletsch Glacier up there. And then we went to Interlaken and we were able to get up to Jungfrau Jacques, which is the, the big peak in that region. And we were totally fogged in, so I can't even say that I saw the view from there. Then was our Romanian detour, and we flew from Zurich into Bucharest and then drove north into the Carpathian Mountains to the Transylvania region. And that is where the wedding was, and I'll talk about that more in the food portion. We did visit Bran Castle, which is where the legend of... Dracula began, and I got through the whole castle tour and then learned that Bram Stoker had never once visited the castle. A friend of his had gone and then came back and described it. And I feel like the friend should get some kind of footnote credit for being super descriptive of this. Anyway, full-on Romanian wedding. Very exciting. A whole thing in and of itself. And then we went back to Switzerland and we spent time in Lucerne, which was, I think, my favorite of our s stops. It's a beautiful old city, gorgeous lake, lots of museums. And then we did our final peak at Pilatus. And then we spent the last few days in Zurich looking at museums and window shopping watches and kind of saying goodbye Swiss to... Swiss Army Knives. And Swiss Army Knives, yeah. So that's kind of what I did. And so... As far as the easel goes, I didn't do nearly as much as I thought I was going to. I took a whole travel kit, a sketch kit. I hiked with that thing, which is no joke because it probably weighed, I don't know, four or five pounds, which is a lot for me to carry in addition. I only sketched like four times in the three weeks that I was away. So I'm not happy about that at all, but I did do some sketches for a project that I'm working on coming up in October. It's the Rabbit Rabbit Show. This is from the folks that brought you the Pigeon Show phase oh. um, video, bench gallery. And so this is rabbit themed and I'm super excited about that. And when we were in Kandersteg, there was a, like a children's rabbit book in the Airbnb and I drew all kinds of stuff from that book during a thunderstorm one day. I did do some location sketches from Lake Ocean Sea and from the peak at Pilatus and then other little bitsy things. The real surprise were the museums. We ended up going to several art museums, some with the kids, some without, and I was delighted by the art that I saw. And so now I'm doing a big deep dive into into pulling art books from artists that were lesser known to me or totally new and looking at some of that work. And it was super inspiring, but I definitely didn't easel it up very much. I'll be honest. I mean, I didn't do much knitting either, so it's fine. I understand. <laughs> so on the table, I have actually done some cooking. Goodness, someone has. I know, but first I wanted to start off talking about some some of my food from my trip well first a cocktail 
Yes, please. Because do you remember, I don't know, a month ago, a couple months ago, you read that book about the Wisconsin Supper Club family last days at the Lakeside Supper Club? No. Okay, well, you're jet lag, so you have an excuse, but you did, trust me, okay. um, because it, it was a modern Mrs. Darcy recommendation for various things, and I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. It's a separate, the Wisconsin Supper Club is a whole thing. I don't know exactly what it is, but like, I think you go and you hang out, and it's like an all-evening event, and it, I mean, it's basically a restaurant, but they, they have like pickled stuff. Ooh. Anyway, they also, apparently, because as Boy 2 and I, our first stop was in Wisconsin, and I was trying to find a restaurant. We were in kind of a smallish town, medium-sized. It's college town, but not a huge college. And a lot of the restaurants were listed as supper clubs. It was like the, I don't know, the West Side Supper Club, Joe's Supper Club. I was like, oh, so I remember the book that you had read and thought I should check this out. So I'm reading the, the reviews and trying to find a good one. And so I finally found one that I thought was good. And one thing that everyone kept mentioning, and I might have done a small like Google search, like what 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 is this supper club thing? And one thing that kept coming up was you drink old fashions. I was like, okay, fine. I'm more of a Manhattan girl, but I'll drink an old fashioned if it's called for. So we go to our supper club. It was like a, it was a steak place. First of all, I think it's been family owned and run for about 50 years and has not been redecorated. So it is 70s fine dining chic. Wow. It is wood paneling. There are stained glass windows. There are brass fixtures everywhere. It was amazing. So we sit down. I order my old fashioned. The waitress, to her credit, did not roll her eyes at me because I clearly did not know what I was getting into. She starts asking me for all these options. Like, what kind of alcohol do you want? And I just kind of stared at her. She's like, okay, brandy, something, something, or bourbon. I was like, bourbon, bourbon, I can do bourbon. But apparently, a true Wisconsin, not true, a standard Wisconsin old-fashioned is made with brandy. I don't know why. The next question, okay, so then she asks me, do I want it sweet, sour, press, or soda? Which is even more bizarre. I wasn't going to pretend like, or I wasn't going to act like I knew what I was talking about, but I just... I didn't want to ask. So I was like, uh, sour sounds good. So apparently they add soda to it. So sweet is this with is like so Wisconsin. <laughs> sweet is seven up or Sprite. Sour is a grapefruit soda, not like yeah. a fancy pomelo, but like squirt. Oh, which was what I ended up getting and was actually delicious. Was it? Press is Sorry, I'm actually kind of looking this up because I could not remember them all at the time. And I did do a super deep dive when I got back to the hotel after having this thing is with is a is mix of Sprite and soda water or club soda. And then soda is just the soda water. So, I mean, right, like a regular old fashioned, it's basically just alcohol. So this is a whole other thing. And it came in a pint glass. So I don't know if this this is traditional I have seen photos from other rest, like people, you know, go to restaurants and photograph their food. And I've seen one that look more like a traditional old fashioned, but maybe a little bit sparkly and bubbly. So I don't know how much you're supposed to, but this came in a pint glass. So it was mostly soda, but it was very refreshing. And I could see if you're at a traditional supper club, I'm kind of imagining it like out in the woods by a lake and you, there's nothing else around. And so the community just goes and like, that's what you're doing all night. You have this nice refreshing drink. Maybe there is an air conditioning because it's, you know, out in the woods and family run place. Um, it would be, it would be great. 
It was super fun. I was very excited. I was a little sad that I didn't order the one with the brandy. Maybe next time. And then our food was great. And, you know, you get you get soup and salad and rolls. And we had a little basket of crackers, like Ritz crackers and clubs, club crackers with, I think, liverwurst and like a pimento cheese spread. <laughs> And boy, that's a page out of my grandparents' book. I know, right? It was so 70s. Yes, delicious. And then your entree, and you got like a choice of sides. Like, I don't know, there were like six or seven options, and I think maybe five of them were potato variations. And then there were desserts, and it was just awesome. I loved it. This is what I love about travel is going someplace and having. I don't know, I would have an expectation in my head about what this would be like. And then being like totally surprised and delighted by Ritz crackers and that pub cheese kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I was. And I think a real traditional one is meant to be a whole evening thing. It's not really a quick meal. And you start off at the bar and you won't be seated until you tell the bartender. You maybe even order with the bartender and you won't get seated until you tell them you're ready to eat, which I don't understand how that all works in terms of seating. I mean, that was one thing that I read about. And then there was one restaurant where the reviews were all about this really nasty bartender who like wouldn't seat people. I don't know. It was some crazy thing that really scared me, but it sounds like maybe people just didn't understand how it's really supposed to work. And there was a group when we arrived sitting at the bar and they were there for most of our meal and then they came in and sat down. And so it was, it was a whole thing and fun. I I am there for it. What else? We had deep dish pizza in Chicago and we went to a steak place there. Those are the main things. I feel like I need to go back to Pittsburgh. I did not do a good job with Pittsburgh food. I didn't research it enough. And then we got there and I was just kind of tired because that had been a long drive. And we, we actually, I mean, we had a really good dinner at an Italian place, but I just, I wasn't, I wasn't sure what we should be having in Pittsburgh. And I felt like I needed a local to say like, okay, this is what you need to have. It felt very much like a neighborhoody town where there's going to be good little restaurants, you know, wherever you are, but you want to go to your local place. And I didn't feel like driving around the city and trying, you know, all these things. I'm sure you all understand. So if anybody has Pittsburgh recommendations, I'm not sure that I will go back ever. Maybe if he goes to school there, I will need to be better prepared. Pass them on because we're headed to Pennsylvania, I think in September for some touring. Oh, okay. Yeah. We went to a really good Venezuelan place the second time I was in Wisconsin because the supper clubs were all too far away, um, which was really good and would have not expected that. I mean, we had some national park food that was surprisingly good, but I actually had a really good watermelon salad, like watermelon and arugula at Grand Teton. That was just delicious and lots of huckleberry stuff. I love Ooh, that's fun. huckleberries. Yeah. And that's like Teton is kind of in the, the part of the country where they actually grow them. And it was the season. So every, like half the cocktail menu involved huckleberries. We had huckleberry milkshakes several days, huckleberry pancakes. I mean everything. And I got some choke cherry syrup from mm. South Dakota because that was a new thing and that's pretty delicious. Okay, but actual food. Before I left, I made a cheesy Mexican quinoa casserole with black beans from the Wimpy Vegetarian. We reviewed her book. That might even have been the first book review we did many, many years ago. And I did that one so that my husband would have some food to get him through the first couple of days of being by himself. 
because, you know, working and then cooking dinner, if, if cooking dinner is not your usual thing, is kind of stressful. And it was quite delicious. I mean, it had black beans and quinoa, obviously, but also cherry tomatoes and bell peppers and I think jack cheese and various Mexican spices. So overall, very simple, not super quinoa heavy, which is fine. A little more on the beans and the tomatoes. So that one is on her website and was, you could probably change up the grain to something else. Mm -hmm. Or do like half rice, half quinoa if you feel like quinoa needs help. Yes, which I do. Yeah. Or I mean, I and I was throwing the vegetables in there a little bit. I think there were amounts for the black beans and the tomatoes and the peppers. And I was like, ah, I've got these. I'll just throw them all in. And it was fine. It's one of those casserole things that you can make it your own. And then since we've been back, I got out of the library, Love and Lemon's Simple Feel Good Food, which Kelly talked about last time. And she showed it to me and it looked beautiful. And so I got it from the library and it is still very impressive. And so I made two salads. They were actually from a page where it was a recipe for a lemon salad dressing and then four different super simple summer salad ideas. So one was watermelon arugula, the other was a peach and corn salad, and then this pretty standard vinaigrette, but with a ton of lemon. I usually you know, use my lemon as an accent and this was much more lemon forward. So they were both great salads. It wasn't even a recipe, it was just like chop up some watermelon. It wasn't even that much, it was like watermelon, you know, Watermelon, arugula, goat cheese, maybe some walnuts or something. So I love that because I am really bad at envisioning what I can throw together. And this kind of did it for me without holding me to a full complicated recipe. And the peach corn salad was pretty delicious too. Although I thought I had peaches and I didn't. So I used pluots instead and that worked as well. And I think that one had red onions as well and cilantro. So very tasty. And then dinner love story had a her most recent blog post was on summer soup and sandwich for dinner ideas so really easy soup recipe and I did the salads instead which I feel is very similar and then a nice sandwich combo and so she had a vegetarian Reuben which was basically a tomato grilled cheese but with Russian dressing and sauerkraut so I made it with the tomatoes for Simon and I I got pastrami for the boys because they they like their meats. And I did it all with my in-the-oven grilled cheese, which always works very well. And if you're making a lot of grilled cheese at once, is generally the way to go, I think, because if you're trying to, to grill one at a time or even two at a time grilled cheese for a family, it takes forever. Whereas in the oven, 20 minutes. So very nice. So that that's what I've been uh, cooking and eating and enjoying. How about you? I have cooked virtually nothing for the past three weeks. With this kind of extended travel, we tried to have breakfast at our Airbnb, which means going to the grocery store locally and seeing what we can find. We we really enjoy the Bursher muesli, which is a Swiss muesli with grated apple and a little bit of yogurt and nuts and seeds and oats. And then for lunch, we would usually grab a sandwich before we headed out on our hikes and just have them in our backpacks. The best sandwich on earth can be had in Interlaken. This was a pretzel sandwich that they bifurcated the pretzel. And then there was, 
I got it two days in a row. It was so excellent. You can get it with a little bit of butter or herb cream cheese, just a teeny bit, roast beef, a little bit of egg salad, and like tomato and lettuce on a pretzel. It is the best sandwich I've ever had. I love it so much. Desperate to recreate it. I was so sad when we left Interlaken for that sandwich alone. The other thing we really enjoyed was the Rosti, which is a very common Swiss. It's like a grated potato that's pan fried and it can come with sausages or chicken or veal or schnitzel or whatever. Lots of different combinations, but my family described it like it's hash browns for dinner, basically. Nothing wrong with that. Nope. Totally delightful. So I now have 10 pounds of Yukon gold potatoes on the island that we are going to recreate some Rosti at home. The other thing that I ordered in Switzerland that was just like really worked, because you know when you're traveling for a long time, it's hard to eat out every night. Some of us fall into comfort patterns. And so my comfort pattern was to get the fitness plate, which sounds... It's a terrible name. It was perfect every time I ordered it. A little different even, but it's like a super seasoned chicken breast, just grilled, but really great seasoning with like an herb butter on top of it. And then a perfect side salad that always had beets in it, which I love beets. Tons of greens, shredded carrot, awesome dressing, and then a side of fries. <laughs> I it, like that. It can't get any more perfect than that no. for me. So I really enjoyed that. Romania delivered in a totally different way. I don't think there was a moment when we weren't eating in Romania <laughs> from start to finish. And because this wasn't a wedding, it was an event. I felt like slightly overfed. The Romanians are super generous with their portions, an abundance of different flavors, there was something pickled the entire time, either pickled cucumbers like traditional pickles or pickled bell peppers or carrots or like, it was just incredible. The diversity, the other crowning things that we tried was this Kurtos collage, which is a chimney cake. It's this super interesting, it's like fried dough. It's coiled around like a baton, the dough is, and then it's rolled in like cinnamon and sugar or there are other toppings for it. And then they slow roast it over a charcoal spit. And so it gets really crispy. It's kind of like cinnamon toast slash donut. And then they pull it off the baton and give it to you and it's steaming like a chimney. And so the texture on the outside is really crispy and the texture on the inside is soft and chewy. It's like a textural flavor explosion. It's so good. It's street food, basically. And then we had, during the wedding banquet dinner, there was a dish called sarmale, which is like a, a cabbage cabbage roll, like a cabbage spring roll, and it's stuffed with pork and other vegetables, and it's served. They do a ton of polenta in Romania, and I thought that was interesting. And then the one thing 
that I really want to try to create was this Vishnato, which when I was listening to your episode with Kelly, she was talking about some of the cordials that they had had in the Adriatic region. And this sounded so familiar. This is a sour cherry liqueur that they serve before a meal and everybody throws it back. You can't buy it. It's made in-house everywhere. There's only like a two-week window when you can even get sour cherries, but then it's made like you get them in June, and then it's served at the high holidays in September, as how I was told. Delightful. Totally loved it. We're past cherry season here, so I'm out of luck for a whole 10 months, but it's something that I think I will attempt next year. So I did plenty of eating in Romania, and I did great. We had great food in Switzerland, too. A lot of good chocolate. I'm kind of excited to be back and cooking, just because it's hard to be on the road for that long. But that will fade, I'm sure. (laughs) It's good to have it for a minute. Yeah, I'm kind of excited as well. My produce box is just exploding with options like all of the fruits are summer fruits are available now all the summer vegetables each week when i have to pick things it's a little little complicated but exciting on the nightstand so i actually have i have a lot of audiobooks because of the road trip aspect i have two non-fiction to start with these are ones that boy one and i listen to in the car And they were both recommendations from my husband. The first was Over the Edge of the World, Magellan's Terrifying Circumnavigation of the Globe by Lawrence Burgreen. And I mean, it was basically the story of Magellan's terrifying circumnavigation of the globe. (laughs) It ended up being very interesting and not very long. I think it was only six hours. So it only lasted us not even one full car ride. And it was based on journals and logbooks from the trip. And I feel like Magellan is sort of he, usually, he gets like one line in a history book. Like we know he made it around the world, except you might also know that he didn't actually. His crew did, or part of them did, but he died in the Philippines. And that's kind of all you know. You think, And I guess at least I think of it as a very scientifically based, like, oh, let's try and prove that you can actually get all the way around the world. All of these things are vaguely true, but really not. So things like there were five ships that started off and only one of them made it all the way around. Four of them sunk, one of them mutinied and turned back. There were like five mutinies altogether. And it was really a profit generating venture. They really were trying to get to pull a fast one on Portugal and sneak around (laughs) the globe to get to the Spice Islands to make a bunch of money. So it was fascinating. It was really interesting. The one thing it felt to me a little bit as though there was not a recognition of the one-sidedness of the journal keepers. And they're very, I mean, obviously they're Europeans, they're very Eurocentric. And it's not like we have written records from the Philippine communities that they were interacting with. But for a history book, I didn't feel like there was enough of a recognition of Again, as I said, the one-sidedness of what what they were saying. The other one that we read, which was kind of a follow-up, was The Wager, A Tale of Shipwreck, Mutiny, and Murder by David Gran. This just came out this summer, Mm -hmm. and he is the author of Killers of the Flower Moon, which the movie just came out recently. And my husband had really liked that first book, and so I had gotten him The Wager. They spend a lot of time in Patagonia. It was another attempt 
1742 to circumnavigate the globe. So very similar to Magellan's adventures as well. This was instead a British ship that uh, was at war with Spain and was trying the plan. It was again, five ships, maybe more. There were some cargo ships and some man of wars, and they were trying to find the Spanish treasure ship that had all their silver from their taxes in the the new world. And instead, there's a bunch of mutinies, ships get separated, one of the ships crashes on an island, the men survive for something like eight months on the island, and then decide to try and sail back. Most of them do not make it, but some of them do. There's accusations of mutiny and murder, and it was very exciting and very interesting, and I thought did recognize the relationship between the indigenous population and the colonizers and, you know, that one, possibly just because it's a more recent book. I think the Magellan one is from 2005 or so. So David Grant definitely recognized what was going on, the relationship between all the peoples in the book. They're both really well done. Very interesting. If you like a nonfiction sea adventure, this might be something for you. And then I read Discord of the Gods by Jen Lyons. This is the fifth and final book in her series. It was great. It was a really great finale. It was nice to have a series that ended after five giant books. They finally saved the world. I don't feel like that's a spoiler. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's the point. They're trying to save the world. They've been doing it for five books. They finally managed. It's, you know, if you like dragons and reincarnation and adventures and sword fights and sarcasm and romance of all kinds, it was it was just a delight and I am super excited to have to have finished it as well and have it end really in a very satisfying manner. And then A Spell of Good Things by Ayobami Adebayo. This one is my Nigerian book for the Storygraph Around the World Reading Challenge. Uh, And this was just published in February, so I was kind of excited to find it. It was her second book, I believe. takes place in Nigeria. There are two main characters, Eniola and Warola, and their lives are mostly parallel, but every once in a while they intersect and things do not go well because of these intersections. Um, There's a lot of their personal family dramas. There's political drama within the state, and it was a very hard but beautiful interweaving of the two. Uh, Warola is a young doctor. She's, you know, studied hard her whole life. Her family is very successful. She's looking to be successful. And yet her parents still are like, why aren't you married? And so that takes her down a whole path. Eniola is a high school student whose father has lost his job. The state decided they didn't need to teach the humanities and fired all the public school teachers or history, like history teachers, of which his dad was one. So his family is starting this slow descent into poverty. And so their stories end up intertwining. It was not a happy ending, but it was a really, it was a really interesting book. I mean, there's part of it just seeing Nigerian culture, but also just the families. I mean, the story could happen in a lot of different places. And the two characters were really well drawn. It was well written. I didn't really know where it was going to be going. And so that's always exciting in a book. And then I had a whole slew of mysteries. Like, I don't know what happened, but everything I read was like, I could consider this a mystery. First two, very obviously, uh, K is for Killer and L is for Lawless by Sue Grafton. Kinsey is back. I know you missed her. 
Both of these were audiobooks. K is for killer. A woman comes to see Kinsey. Her daughter was murdered several months ago, and the police were trying, but they couldn't figure anything out. And so she asked Kinsey to look into it, which she does. Very. This one was very dark. The daughter was kind of a night owl, worked at night. And so Kinsey ends up spending a lot of time at night. It's the whole, you know, like late night radio and just lots of all the things that happen at night. It was, so it was a little, it was a little different. Um, and then Ellis for Lawless. She gets involved in a cross country road trip and treasure hunt, basically, which kind of wacky, but very enjoyable. And uh, yeah, I'm, so I'm about almost halfway through the series now. Or yeah, I guess I am about halfway. So I'm continuing on with that. And then I also listened to A Killing of Innocence by Deborah Crombie. And this one has been recommended on Modern Mrs. Darcy as well as the series for those of us who love Louise Penny, but we've read all her books. And I would say 100% yes. Same vibe. This book just came out this summer. It is number 19 in the series. I decided I'd just jump in because I figured it would be jump inable. You could definitely tell there were past stories between these two characters that were doubtless very interesting, but not really necessary to enjoy this particular story. So Duncan Kincaid and Gemma James are our main characters. They are married at this point. I feel like they definitely were not married at the beginning of the series. They are police investigators in London. So that's always fun. They both have besties who also work with them. Duncan and his bestie are out for a drink and they get called into a murder nearby. And it turns out they had just seen the girl at the pub right before she was killed. So they're a little shook by that. Gemma is actually not uh, an investigator at the moment. She's running some commission studying knifing, uh, knife murders in England. So she's that's how she kind of gets involved. It was a good mystery. I did not, well, I didn't try very hard, but I didn't figure out who it was. And then the relationship between all the, the main characters was that nice kind of Louise Penny kind of vibe. So I like that one. And, and I think maybe once I finish the Sue Grafton, I might go back and, and read some more in this series. And then The Secret Service of Tree and Te Treason by India Holton. This is the one Kelly and I talked about last time. This is mm -hmm. book three in the series. It is the final one. It is a, So it's just a trilogy. Kelly said she was kind of confused by the beginning, and I thought that was probably just because she hadn't read the other two. But no, I was actually a little bit confused, and I have read the first two. <laughs> the beginning is wacky. The whole thing was a little bit wacky. This was definitely not my most favorite of the trilogy. The first two really worked a lot better. So in this one, there is Alice and Daniel, and they were raised in an orphanage that trained them to be household domestic servants and secret agents. So they are the top two agents now, and they are being sent to, um, this is the one with the pirates with the flying houses. And so they are being sent to uh, a pirate lair, actually a party at a pirate, like a weekend house party at a pirate lair because there is a rumor that someone is trying to assassinate Queen Victoria and they have to uncover who is plotting this and stop the the crime. And, and they have to pretend to be married and both pretend to be pirates. And so shenanigans ensue. It was good. It was not as good as the other ones, but it was a, a nice end to the series. And then there was, there was a little blurb at the end of the book. She has a new series coming out at some point that involves birds and magic. So... That's the one you sent me? Yes. Okay. So we're very excited about that here in Craft Cook, Read Repeat Land. 
then I also read Who is Maud Dixon by Alexandra Andrews. This one was a trip. Very summer reading. So this is the story of Florence, who is a editorial assistant at a publishing house. Just a very stupid affair with her married boss and things are not going well. But then she ends up getting an offer to be an assistant to Maud Dixon. Now Maud is an author. She has written like a runaway bestseller, but Maud Dixon is a pen name and nobody knows who the actual Maud Dixon is. So this is very exciting. So she can't tell anyone that she's working for Maud Dixon or who, you know, she has sent a huge NDA, but obviously this could be a career changer. So she's very excited. So she goes to work for Maud Dixon, gets to meet her, things happen, shenanigans ensue, they go to Morocco, there's murder, there's mayhem, there's travel. It's it's a whole thing. It was delightful. People behaving badly, but in a, in, in a most wonderful kind of way. Uh, I enjoyed it very much without liking any of the characters, basically. So that was fun. And then finally, Ink Blood Sister Scribe by Emma Torts. This is another recent release, and I think it's, uh, it's on somebody's book club, Reese or Good Morning America. And I can't believe it did not come across my radar. My mother recommended this to me because of the aforementioned book club. And she's gotten it out of the library and I was over there and she said, oh, have you heard of this one? And I looked at it and the inside blurb, it was basically two sisters inherit a magical library. I mean, I, do I need to read anymore? No, obviously I need to read this book. I mean, that's the, the short version. So there's two sisters and they have a magical library. They've grown up. Their father is kind of protecting it in this world. I mean, it's, it's our world, but there's this little bit of magic. Spells are written into books. And if you read, the, you read the book out loud, the spell activates. And it can be any number of things. And not everyone can do it, but this family can, except for the older sister, Esther. Joanna can hear the magic. She can read the spells. She can protect the books. But the sisters are still grow up very close until Esther turns 18. And she runs away from home, doesn't come back. And Joanna is kind of very upset about this. Then her mother leaves the house as well, leaves the family. And then a few years later, her father dies, clearly due to magic, clutching a book that Joanna has never seen before. And she's been around these books since she was born. Esther doesn't even come home then. But this sets off a series of events that does lead to Esther eventually coming home. And mystery, magic, saving the world all those good things. Despite the fact that there were a lot of houses that were very important, it was not gothic, but it was, it took itself seriously. It was not a romp, I would say. It was a nice blend of the family relationships and, you know, especially the two sisters, but there's some other, other things going on. There was a little bit of romance that felt very unnecessary, but not too much. And it was just a nice, solid fantasy story that I really enjoyed. And actually my mom enjoyed as well. And it's not really her genre. So she could have gotten a bingo square for that if she was <laughs> doing the bingo. So I'm very glad she recommended that to me. Good stuff. Okay. Before we left, I finished three books and I took three books with me. The first one was You Could Make This Place Beautiful. It's a memoir by Maggie Smith. And Maggie Smith is a poet and she wrote a memoir on the disintegration of her marriage. Now, if you've been here for a minute, you know that I kind of don't love this topic. 
It's not my comfort zone. However, unfortunately, I'm at the point in my life where a lot of friends are affected by divorce. And I feel like it's important for me to be a better listener. And so I read this in the hopes that it would help me to listen. And I feel like if it can be said, this is sort of a beautiful novel about her grief, you know, the the end of her marriage and how she gets her feet back under her. And the thing that I appreciated as a kid of divorce is that she doesn't let the ex off the hook, but she also doesn't skewer him in a way that her kids will have to live with for the rest of their lives because it's in print. I think she was careful in a, in a meaningful way. So I don't know that I would recommend this book, but if you're like me and you have some friends who are have gone through divorce or going through it, it, I think it helps me be a little bit more tender about it instead of super uncomfortable. The whole thing is hard, but anyway. Then, on the other end of the spectrum, The Crow Trap by Anne Cleves. Okay, so this is, now I've switched on you. This is Vera is our detective, but the structure of these is different from the Shetland ones. The first two parts of the novel are from the perspective of other key players in the mystery. And you really don't get Vera. She interjects or she'll come into the scenes briefly in the first two perspectives, and then her part comes at the back end. And... I'm going to say it. I adore Anne Cleves. I think her writing is great. I don't much care for Vera. She's kind of crude and malicious in a way that I don't want to spend time with her. I loved Jimmy Perez, and so I'm kind of surprised. But I could also, from a creative perspective, I can see the process differences between these two. And I think she was trying a different structure. She was trying an unlikable detective. And I think that that's interesting, but it doesn't work for me as a reader. Yeah, I didn't love that one either. I wonder if we should try one of the later ones and see how the character has evolved. And maybe she went really hard with the negativity and she's either dialed it. I mean, she may have just gone with it. I don't know. Have you seen any of the... I mean, they turned Vera into a BBC oh, series, yeah, right? Have you, have you seen any of those? Yeah, neither have I. Well, if anybody has either read ahead in the Vera books or has seen the, the series, let us know if we, should, if we should kind of jump ahead. The other one I read before we left was Gone Like Yesterday by Janelle M. Williams. Monica read this one. I was like, that sounds familiar. <laughs> This is the story of Zara and Sammy and the uncle, whose name I'm forgetting. They go on a road trip from New York to Atlanta to look at colleges and to also look for Zara's brother. This is the one with the singing moths, which is, (laughs) I mean, I drew the singing moth for Monica before I even read this book, and I'm still confounded about it. I think... The voices of the past is like a really strong theme and element in this book. And I think it was super interesting, even though I totally 
I don't fully get it. I think it was very imaginative. The sense of family is really strong and classism is really strong. There's a lot going on. Did you read it or listen to it? I read it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, interesting. I think I can... Well, it's either that or the Anne Cleves that I can count for my Monica recommendation. Oh, yeah, because I was going to do Gone Like Yesterday for my person or character of color. Okay, and then for my travel, I took three books, three real books with cover and pages on my trip. One of them I was willing to leave along the way. And I did find some book booths in Switzerland, which... I was delighted to leave one of them in. The first one is No Two Persons by Erica Bauermeister. This was such a beautiful little book. So it's a story of Alice who her whole life wants to be an author. She wants to write and she's got definitely one novel in her. She writes her novel and off it goes into the world. And then every chapter or piece of the rest of the book is how her novel impacts someone else from the person who pulls it out of the, you know, the mountain of manuscripts that they get at the publishing house to the professor who edited it for her to people long down the line who read it and remember back. And there's lots of little crossovers and connection points. And I think it is, it is a lacy, interesting novel. It's just kind of lovely. Then I read Lady Tan's Circle of Women by Lisa C. This is a Ming Dynasty era novel based on Tan Yongshin. I think is the pronunciation, who was a female doctor. This is a really interesting perspective happening because at that time, male doctors did not see their female patients. They sat behind a screen and he would ask questions and then a woman would go and ask the questions of the patient and then she'd report back. And so the women were constantly misdiagnosed. Like it was a mess and it was not a good system. And so she is trained by her grandmother to be a female physician, and she works directly with her patients. What do you know? And, of course, helps them with the whole host of fertility, childbirth, post-childbirth, like any ailment that affects a woman throughout her life. And she also had bound feet. This was really common during that era for women of a certain class. The frankness of the foot binding was hard to read about because it seemed so barbaric. Yet at the time, it was it was totally socially not only acceptable, but like it was almost required, expected of somebody of a certain standing. And there were lots of problems with doing that too. Infection and balance issues and oh, terrible. So interesting little window into that historical pocket. And it is based on a true story. And I appreciated that. Is that a new one of hers? Yes, it's brand new. Lastly is Gilded Mountain by Kate Manning. This is like 1910, 1920s in Colorado. 
in the marble mines, like when they were mining for statue, like the tomb of the unknown soldier. This is based on historical record of a mining town that was trying to unionize. The men were just never paid. They were really abused and they lived under terrible conditions. The heart of the story is Sylvie and she's like late teens, early 20s. And her father, oh, I don't want to spoil anything. Her father works in the mine and she becomes like a female reporter and eventually like a union champion and how that affects her reporting life and what she's willing to do to help the cause. This too was based in a historical record and I had no idea that we had marble mines in Colorado and that a lot of important monuments came out of those mines. And I felt like the writing was superb. Like it had a great pace to it. It's kind of lengthy and it was a really interesting story. And that's what I've been reading. All right, bingo. Started Friday, May 26th, ends Monday, September 4th, which is kind of coming up just around the corner. To enter to win fabulous prizes, you need to post a photo of your bingo card with a completed bingo to Instagram with the hashtag CCRR Summer Bingo 2023 or to the Ravelry thread in our Ravelry group. And if you post a copy of your blackout, you get a second entry. And if you complete all three bird-themed squares and post that and let us know that you're posting for that, uh, you will get entered to win a bird-themed prize. And I have seen one of those from Carl 515 on Instagram, who finished both her bingo and her bird-themed entry. So yeah, she had a bird-themed washcloth. And she did vacation crafting, and she had a sour note cocktail, and Craft Buzz posted these adorable Rocky the Owl ornaments. They were so cute. Uh, Tamara Moots has two bingos. She read Some Desperate Glory, which was a book that I recommended, which, that was such a good book. Um, She cooked shishito peppers. She read When Women Were Dragons, which sounds pretty interesting as a friend or librarian recommendation. And she had a mojito, which, I mean, I think we can all agree that's fabulous. And Boston Gen 1 did a whole bunch of things for her bingo. I don't know that she hasn't actually a bingo yet. There were several people that were posting because they have like multiple rows of four, which is kind of where I was last time. But that's very easy to turn around. Boston Gen did uh, socks beautiful rainbow socks. She had a pina colada sour beer, which sounds amazing. And she made, she crocheted um, her own pattern of watermelon drink cozies, which were super cute. So you can, um, the mason jar kind of thing. And Mm. so to keep it from breaking, use it for a nice summer cooler, but it looks like a watermelon. So that was very cute. And then on Ravelry, Knitwise09, Red Diary of the Void, which Diary of a Void, which is a book that you recommended. Mm And Oh, actually, this one was four squares. It was a debut book. It was an award winner. It was a different genre for her. And it was a Courtney recommendation. So I think that... That's, I feel... that's a gold star. <laughs> exactly. And she also had a knit chicken, which is a bird craft, obviously, and was adorable. Burdette had vacation socks and cooking from scratch. And she also, for her... It's not the pickling one. I keep calling that preserving. Mm-hmm. She made cassis liqueur. Which, I mean, is good, fantastic. Good call. I know. Suna, also on Rav, had pickled onions, and that got her a bingo. 
And Reverie had so many. I think she was doing like all of her her squares at once, which is fantastic. And I love them all. But she also, some of my favorites out of the ones she posted was her person of color reading was Yellowface, which I need to read immediately because I love I love Babel. And I think it's coming up for me at the library very soon. And her pizza was with fig jam, prosciutto, mozzarella, 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 and arugula. I think I was trying to combine those two words. Mozzarella. <laughs> um, which sounds delicious. And she also finished some socks that were a work in progress. Bravo, people. I know. I just had my little birdie socks were my crafting a bird. And remaking a project, as I said, that was the 10th time that I've made those socks. So yeah, I I have a bunch that I are now the ones I kind of have to think about. Some of them, like the vegetable or, you know, the farmer's market, I sort of do that all the time. So I want to make that something exciting. The cooking from scratch, also kind of similar because mostly I do stuff from scratch, but making gnocchi was on my beginning of the year list. So I feel like I might try and do that this upcoming week half my family will be gone including a gluten-free person so i can like try it in regular flour first for my child that loves gnocchi so we'll see stay tuned hopefully i will have a few more bingo squares i rounded out three i think my monica recommendation which could be covered by a lot of different books likely the Anne cleaves or the yeah the Anne cleaves and then my book by a person by or about a person of color was the gone like yesterday and then a ton of vacation reading and a little bit of vacation sketching so yeah i think i have two or three more squares oh that's pretty good you've got almost a like a whole month a little bit less than a month you're there i think all of my squares are cooking related Mm. because you haven't been around. I haven't been around. So yeah. I'm looking forward to wrapping those. Cool. Up. All right. Well, until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf at C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.